0: This is Come and See from St. Andrews Anglican Church for November 10th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In today's Gospel lesson, a group of Sadducees come up to Jesus to test him. It's an interesting story. There are three different major sects in Judaism at the time. Um, one is the Essenes, who we know of through the Dead Sea Scrolls, which he found in the 1940s. And they were a very um, monastic kind of group who separated themselves out from everyone so they could be pure. Uh, they wouldn't even associate with other Jews. And um, they went through daily uh, washings in fonts that they called mikvahs, but they're like baptismal fonts for ritual purity. And it's probably from that group that John the Baptizer comes, um, except that he apparently breaks with them and goes out to share that with others in the Jewish community. The second group was known as the Pharisees, um, and the Pharisees were sort of the um, people who invented the, the Jewish Sunday school movement, if you will. Um, they, they're the ones who came up with the synagogue because they believed that everything shouldn't be centered just at the temple. And so they had synagogues built where they could teach people about the law and the prophets and, and what all those things meant. And they were particularly concerned with, uh, with being strictly adhering to the law that God had given them through Moses. And then the final group was the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were probably the oldest group. They were descended from Aaron and Levi. They were of the tribe of Levi. And they were the group of people who were were separated out to be priests, to uh, take care of the temple and to take care of the the sacrifices and all the things that go on in the temple. And, And so they're most likely the oldest group of the bunch. But they only believe that the first five books of the Bible are authoritative. They don't believe that the prophets or the writings have any authority. And as a result of that, uh, they don't believe in the resurrection because there is no resurrection mentioned in the first five books of the Bible. All they talk about in the first five books of the Bible is how things got to be the way they are, the story of the patriarchs, and then uh, how Israel was delivered to the promised land. And, And so they believe that's the only part that was authoritatively handed down by God. And as a result, because the resurrection doesn't really appear until Ezekiel, which is during the Babylonian captivity, they don't believe in resurrection, which is of course why they're so sad, you see. Um. (laughs) Well, it may be corny, but it helps you remember it, doesn't it? (laughs) So because they don't believe in the resurrection, though, they come to Jesus to test him On that, because they know that he was raised by uh, in the Pharisaical tradition in a synagogue. They know he's taught in synagogues. They know that he was baptized by John, who probably came from the Essene community. And so they come to test him. Now it's interesting because here's what we can tell. Jesus didn't really get along with any of those people. Um, he, he, they all had problems with him. Pharisees because he wouldn't strictly adhere to the law. Uh, the Essenes because he didn't you know, remove himself to, for ritual purity. And of course the Sadducees because of his belief in the resurrection. So they present a scenario to him. You know, a hypothetical. And you should always know anytime anybody comes up to you with a hypothetical, you're probably in trouble. Um and it's probably one they've used before. They say, "Look, in 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 the law, it says that if a man marries a woman, and then the man dies childless, it is her bro- his brother's responsibility to marry her." Which is true. It says that in the Hebrew law, because the problem is, is if she doesn't have any children, if she doesn't have a male child, then there's not going to be anybody to take care of her. I mean, women don't have the ability to earn a living in those times. Well, there is one, but it's not considered respectable, so nobody's supposed to be doing it. But, um, and, and so they, you know, they need someone to make a living for them. And so they depended on their male heirs to provide for them and then their daughter-in-laws. And so they said, you know, this guy died, and so his brother married her, as is required by law, except then he died too, and they still didn't have any heirs. And so then she married the third brother, and he died too. And this went on and on through seven brothers. And so whose wife will she be in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I have to tell you, that, that isn't a question I would have come up with. <laughs> if you have seven guys die, you know, I'd say, somebody might want to look into that. Where's Matlock when you need him? I mean, there's something suspicious about this. But apparently they didn't worry about that. So, but she, so they want to know whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Because obviously it's absurd to think that, you know, what, what are these brothers going to do? You know, the first brother goes, well, she was my wife first. Well, tough, you know, you know, I was married two or three minutes longer than you were, you know, and, and they all get into a big fight over her or what? I mean, as it, it, though somehow or other there's this jealousy thing going on. And, and to them, that's why the resurrection is so silly, It's because you have all these complicated relationships. You know, and the truth is we do today, you know, we've dated and some of us have been married more than once. And so what all happens then in the resurrection? Whose wife are they? Or whose husband are they in the resurrection? Is that going to be complicated? And Jesus said, I'm going to paraphrase here in modern idiom. You guys don't get this, do you? You really just don't get this at all. In the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage because they are like the angels. They live forever. Now, what is he trying to tell us here? Well, partly he's trying to tell us about the nature of the resurrected life. Partly he's trying to tell us about what the nature of marriage is because the truth is is that in heaven you will no longer be married to your spouse. Now, some of you may say, thank God. And some of you may say, say, oh, no, but either way, it's still true. There is no marriage in heaven. Now, does that mean you can't talk to them? Well, no, that's what I mean. But it means there isn't marriage because the purposes of marriage will no longer be necessary. One of them, hopefully, the marriage will have trained you for that you will have. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And the other one we don't need. And, And one of the purposes of marriage, of course, is procreation. Now in our day and age, we're trying to get rid of that and say that's sort of an optional add-on, you know, sort of like you get, you, know, you get add-ons onto your car if you want a sunroof or something. But in reality, that was not the case. It was the case that procreation was always a part of marriage if it was God's will. Now it didn't mean that everybody had to have children, but it meant that if it was God's will that was going to be part of it. And so when we look at marriage, a big part of it is this procreation. That's one of the problems that we're finding in our society is that as we begin to try to dissect the purposes for which people get married, we, we sort of toss out that as though that, that doesn't matter. And, and I'll show you why that makes a difference in a minute. The second purpose, which is just as important by the way, is for what we call mutual comfort and affection in the marriage uh, vow, in the, in the marriage introduction. But what it really means is for vulnerability and intimacy. The ability to live with someone who, and to be vulnerable to them and to be close to them and to really be able to completely trust them and have them break your heart. Because that's basically what happens in marriage. Because see, the truth of marriage is that it's not predicated on how we feel about one another. That really has very little to do with it. As a matter of fact, if it did, we'd all be in trouble. But in, in reality, marriage, the foundation of marriage is not about how we feel. It's not even about loving each other in that sense of the word. It's about forgiveness. One of the problems in our society that we've had now for quite a while, and this is true of all sexual preferences, so we've begun to think that being in love is the pinnacle of, of the human experience, that romance is you know that that's the best it gets and 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 what you should really do is strive to always be there in that state of being in love well you know i like a good endorphin rush as much as anybody but i mean let's face it if we were all looking goo eyed at each other all the time nobody would ever do anything i mean it would be impossible because that kind of love that romance stuff while it, it has its purposes and it is good really isn't the real meaning of marriage. It comes and goes in a marriage. Sometimes you feel romantic towards the other person. Sometimes you don't really like them very much. And then you might feel romantic toward them again. And that's normal. And it's the way it ought to be. Because real marriage is founded on forgiveness. Now think about this. If everybody was in love with each other all the time, would there be anything to forgive? what (laughs) yeah but when we're in love we don't look at them (laughs) We, we just move right on we ignore them see the real romance doesn't care about those things Romance cares about how I feel towards you and how you feel towards me. And as long as I can gaze deeply into your eyes and melt away and become one with you in the cosmos, life is good. Except that that's not real marriage, nor is it real relationship. It's a relationship predicated on my feeling good. You see, real marriage is founded on forgiveness. It's founded on that time when you realize that the person you're married to is an idiot. And I'm sure that some of your wives have discovered that. (laughs) But I mean, all of us do dumb things. And so when we look at marriage, what we have to look at is that real relationship comes when I can forgive you and love you even though you're an idiot. Not because you're not going to be an idiot anymore because you're going to do the right thing. But because you're you. And I know that about you. And it's okay. I don't really like it all the time, but I love you and I accept you for who you are. And part of our problem is that we don't really understand forgiveness very well. We seem to think forgiveness is that everything's right with the world and, you know, and, and we're all back just the way we were before. That's not forgiveness. I mean, it's the final step in a process, but it's hardly forgiveness. You know, Forgiveness is about what we do in a relationship. Because the truth of the matter is is that you can forgive someone even if they don't want your forgiveness. Because they don't think they did anything wrong. Did you know that? They don't have to say they're sorry first. And by the way, there's really not much point in people saying they're sorry because if you had any intelligence, you would know that all of us are sorry from the beginning anyway. So it doesn't matter. Forgiveness comes from the old English to give forth. And what it really means is I let go of my claim against you. I let go of the hurt. I let go of any retribution. I let go of any redress that I think you owe me. Um, I just let it go. It's no longer mine. I give it to God. It's His. And so you can do it or not do it. That's entirely up to you. Because that's what forgiveness is. And if you think about it, what would it be like if God only forgave us when we were sorry for what we did. That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? I mean, when he died on the cross, who did he die for? The sins of the whole world, right? When he said, Father, forgive them, were they saying, oh, we're really sorry we did this to you? No. He forgave them anyway. Because forgiveness is not about the other person, it's about you. And, and the truth is, is that, To hold on to that grudge, to hold on to that anger, to hold on to that that, um, unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person at all. It does hurt you a lot because it eats away at you. And furthermore, if you think about it, the Lord taught us to pray, and we pray it every Sunday at least, and I suspect a lot of other times too, the Lord's prayer. And in that we say, Lord, we want you to forgive us of our sins just like we forgive others who, who sinned against us. Think about that. Every Sunday we ask God, God, you forgive me the way I forgave so-and-so who did this to me. So what does that mean if we haven't forgiven them? We haven't let it go. God, I want you to not forgive me because I haven't forgiven them and I don't think they deserve it, so I don't deserve it either. Where would that leave us? And see, part of the problem is, is that we've forgotten what forgiveness means. Forgiveness doesn't mean we all go hug and make up. Forgiveness means I let go of the control. The second step in that is actually called reconciliation. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and he forgave the the world, was the world reconciled to God? Doesn't look like it. (laughs) I mean, they haven't come back to God yet. matter of fact, Paul even says that now we have the ministry. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're taking on the ministry of reconciliation. He's already forgiven the world. We're to call the world to come back come back into a relationship with God. That's really the whole point. And and that reconciliation, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean the same relationship as the one you had before. It can be quite different relationship, and often is. Sometimes, particularly in human beings, you can't go back to what was. The third phase is called restoration. And that's where you're able to actually reach out and, and all is well, and we patched up all that and we moved on, and we now have restored that that same kind of relationship that we had in the beginning. And that's what the goal is for God, by the way, in this process. He wants us all to be restored to Eden. That's what the new Jerusalem is, is the, the restored kingdom of God, where everything is perfect. And so all those things, though, are a process. The part we have to take seriously. Because it's really the only part we have any control over is the first step, which is forgiveness. Because the truth is, is that if I don't forgive, if I won't forgive you, then I'll never get to reconciliation. You know, I'll never be able to do that. It will never come there. And if I can't forgive you, if I hold that grudge in my heart, I can't get into the kingdom of heaven. Because God is not going to allow envy and hatred and malice in the kingdom of God. Would you want it there? I mean, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be much fun at all. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves, how seriously do we take this? Because you see, in heaven, there there is no marriage. The the whole point of that kind of relationship that can be developed on a foundation of forgiveness is one that is open to everyone. Everyone we're to have that kind of relationship with everyone we know. And in fact, God gave us marriage on earth with, with procreation of children as a laboratory, if you will, as a way to begin to experience that with someone. To see if we have the capability. You know, because if we had to start with everyone, we'd be in trouble. And so when we start with just, you know, one person, then we end up, you know, learning how to do that, Hopefully. And what's even more astounding about it is if children do become a part of that mix, then you have to learn how to do it with somebody else. I mean, I've told many of this before, and Bishop Thompson actually told you, there was a Bishop Bishop Thompson, Bishop Southern Ohio, once said that uh, he has a son, Owen, who's a priest now, who got, he got in a big fight with him when he was a teenager. And Owen looked at him and said, why well, didn't I ask to be born? And Bishop Thompson looked at him and said, well, it's a good thing too, because I would have said No. So we end up with children that we have to love and forgive. Because all of us need forgiveness. But if we don't learn anything about forgiveness in the midst of it, then we don't really learn anything about real relationships and real community. Because the truth is, in the kingdom of God, everybody will know everything that you know, everything you know, everything you've done, everything you think. It will all be open for everyone. And so those grudges that you hold are still going to be there and you can't go with them. And that's why we don't have to worry about whose wife someone is or whose husband someone is in heaven because we're all on equal footing now. Because quite honestly, if they haven't gotten there, they won't be there. It won't happen. And so the the scriptures challenge us to ask ourselves, how serious are we about wanting to live in the resurrection? wanting to live in the kingdom of God are we serious enough to mean what we say when we say the Lord's prayer to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us so challenge yourself this week to ask yourself about those people who you have a hard time forgiving or those people maybe who you've never forgiven that you've never let go of and ask yourself do I really want God to treat me in exactly the same way that I treat them is that going to work Because ultimately, your eternal life depends on it. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, while procreation is not needed anymore because we live forever, you don't need to create more. That intimacy, that vulnerability, is still needed. That ability to give forth and to give up. And when we begin to decide that we can decide what all those things mean and which parts we want and which parts that we don't want and how that all works, then we end up getting the society that we've gotten, we end up broken. And the only way back is to start again with ourselves, with forgiveness. So challenge yourselves to ask yourself, who is it that I haven't forgiven yet? And what do I need to do to let it go and give it to God? Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.